Welcome to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. I'm Erin, pediatric sleep consultant and founder of The Happy Sleep Company. From catnaps to night wakes and regressions to teething, we cover all things baby sleep. With a passion for children's sleep, we're here to help tired families get healthy rest. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have a guest with us and we are talking about sleep schedules and bedtime routines when you have multiple kiddos. I have worked with many, many hundreds of families who are balancing multiple children at bedtime. But if you follow us on Instagram or you listen to this podcast regularly, you know that I only have one child. I have an only child. And so sometimes I feel a little bit like an imposter talking about this because can I really relate? There are so many things when it comes to baby and toddler sleep that I as a mom can relate to. I've been through those tough, that tough newborn stage. I've been through those periods where your baby will only have cat naps and it's so frustrating. I've been through the multiple nighttime wake-ups and I can tell you that as a mom, I can relate to those things. And as a sleep consultant, I can relate to those things, but I have to be honest, I cannot necessarily relate to what it is like to try to put three kids to bed at the same time, or try to put two kids down for naps on different schedules. Because while I've done that with a lot of my clients, I haven't done it as a mom. I only have one. So I brought in the big guns to talk about that because we need somebody who's done it, who's there, who does it on a daily basis, balances kids' schedules, balances bedtime routines with multiple kids. So today, as a guest on the podcast, we have Katie Sproul. She is a pediatric occupational therapist by trade and now a full-time stay-at-home mom of three small children. On her Instagram account, Katie shares the ups and downs of motherhood while keeping her sense of humor very alive and well, which is how I found her because I love her account. It is good for relatable material, but also just good when you need a light moment and a laugh. Her account is so great. And as she says, motherhood is messy. It's frustrating. It's chaotic. And it'll drive you crazy if you let it. She describes motherhood as easily the most rewarding thing she's done in her life, but also the hardest hands down. Knowledge is power, as Katie says, and she likes to use her background to share what she's found most useful and helpful in her busy life as a stay-at-home mom. So let's welcome Katie because she's on the podcast today to talk to us about her experience with having multiple children, small children, having to balance multiple sleep schedules and bedtime routines and how she does it and tips for you to do it if you have multiple kiddos and you're balancing all of these things at the same time. So welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for being on Sleep Cues today. Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. Hi, listeners. And um, I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. We need that firsthand perspective of <laughs> how do you do this? How do you, I get this question all the time. Erin, this is great. I'm so excited to get my baby sleeping. But what about my toddler? Like how my right. toddler's a good sleeper, but what if my baby and my toddler need to go to bed at the same time? Or yep. what if they don't go to bed at the same time, but I would prefer to give them the same bedtime routine. So I just get it all done at once. All of these kinds of questions I get a lot when I'm working with a family who has say a baby and a toddler or yeah. a baby and a toddler in a preschooler who all still need a lot from their parents. They are not independent when it comes to getting themselves ready for bed. So it's a lot of work and you're, you're juggling it all. So first of all, Thank you again for being on and just tell us a little bit more about you, how you came about starting up your Instagram account, your kiddos, their ages. So our listeners know, okay, who are you really and what are you dealing with at home? Yeah. 
Um, well, like you said, I am a pediatric occupational therapist by trade. I, prior to becoming a mom, I was a practicing occupational therapist, work with, worked with kids for years. Um, and then I left my practice when I became a mom because I sort of always dreamed of being a stay-at-home mom and all the stay-at-home moms out there are probably giggling to themselves right now because sure, that's the dream. But I think I had a very different <laughs> idea of what it would be like to be a stay-at-home mom. It feels very much, in many ways, it feels harder than what I was doing when I was working outside of the home. Um, I'm so glad to be at home with my kids full-time. I'm the one who drops them off, picks them up, takes them everywhere and does, you know, all the things. Um, but it's very challenging and frustrating and exhausting. And I can't take a day off of work when I need a mental health day or anything. So those days are really challenging. Um, my kids are currently two, four and six. Um, our middle child is closer to about four and a half. So I did the whole two under two thing. Our first two kids are about 19 months apart. And so it was that two under two, th there's a reason it's like, it, it's a whole hashtag. There's a reason it's a whole thing that people talk about the two under two, because it is a challenge. It's, that's no joke. That one, <laughs> that one almost broke me. And then our youngest one is, like I said, just turned two. So, um, you know, even though my oldest is six years old, he's still not fully independent. I'm, we're still doing the bedtime routine for him. And so to the moms out there who are juggling two, three, even more than that, in terms of the amount of kids that you have to put down, it's, there are nights where you're like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this tomorrow and the next day and the next day? Doing the whole nap time bedtime routine feels like a, a full-time job <laughs> in and of itself on top of all the other stuff you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So, um, But over the years, I feel like we've gotten into a good routine. We've figured out a, a sort of rhythm. Um, I will say I'm, I'm, I don't claim to be an expert on anything regarding parenting, let alone sleep training. But I, a humble brag moment, if there's one thing that our kids do really, really well, it's sleep. When we have a babysitter or our grandparents coming and watching the kids, one of their first things that they tell us is like, they're so easy to put to bed. Like bedtime was so easy. And I'm more like, well, that's good to know because we've put that's in a the lot dream. of work. Yeah, that's the dream. work to get there. So I'm happy to share whatever knowledge and tricks that we've picked up over the years because that you're you're right. That is the dream. You want your kids to be good sleepers and you don't want bedtime to carry on for two hours. Yeah. And and I love the way you put that because too, like we talked about at the beginning of this, like it has to be relatable, right? Our listeners never want to hear just from people who only have unicorn sleepers who they never had any issues with and they didn't even really have to do any kind of routine or sleep coaching their their baby and then their toddler has just always been this fantastic sleeper. Right. You're not saying that. It sounds like you've been through your struggles, you've been through yeah. the ups and downs, but you found what works for you as a family. Yeah. And that's what we want to share with listeners today so that they can sort of maybe hopefully take some tidbits of that and say, okay, this might work for my family too, because I'm on the struggle bus because I just had a baby and I also have a toddler and I'm just in this new world of how do you balance all this? Yeah. So let's dive in and talk about that. Some of your top tips as a mom of multiple small children 
for managing bedtime routines. And then we'll, we'll get into some daytime nap scheduling stuff as well. Okay. So the first thing you talked to me about when we were emailing about this podcast episode is starting early because it always takes longer than you think. So starting what you mean is starting the bedtime routine early and giving yourself lots of time for it. Tip number one. Yeah. Like we always aim for around an eight o'clock bedtime for our kids. So we are upstairs starting the bedtime routine at seven o'clock. And if things go smoothly, you get to read more books, you get to sing more songs, you get to talk about your day a little bit longer. But that way you're not up against this wall where you're like, oh my gosh, now it's 830 and we're going to, we're now we're late and tomorrow you're going to be a hot mess. So we always start early, whether we're doing bath or not. Um, I think that was another thing that I mentioned in my tips is we don't do bath every night and some parents do. And if that's you then you figure out how to work that into your schedule. And again, just back up your time to where you're giving yourself more than enough time. And you're not just thinking, you know, you're not aiming for this magical 30 minute bedtime routine. That certainly is not how it goes in our house. It's usually about an hour, whether we're doing bath or not. Somehow, even when we're not doing bath, our kids find a way to prolong that bedtime routine. Um, and so figuring out what what is important to you in that bedtime routine and figuring out how much time that generally takes and then add even more time to that because, you know, it, it never fails that, you know, you, you've got this smooth bedtime or I'm sorry, bath time routine down and then somebody decides to dump an entire, you know, pail full of water out of the bath and now you have to clean up this mess or, You've got everything, everybody's, you know, in this good groove and then somebody has to poop and you have to go wipe a butt. Like it it never fails that there is something that's going to delay you. So giving yourself that ample amount of time so that you're not yourself feeling the internal stress of being up against this, you know, invisible deadline of bedtime. And I think that is great advice. When I work with families who only have one baby, I will generally say, yeah, like bedtime routine, 30, maybe 40 minutes max. And I think that's really realistic. But Mm -hmm. then when a family says to me, okay, well, what about if I'm on my own with both my kiddos and I have this five month old and I also have a two and a half year old. Okay. Well, let's be realistic. Might bedtime still take only around 40 minutes? Maybe, but are we now looking closer to 45 minutes to an hour? Probably because we need to factor all of that in. And so that makes total sense. I would say you want to give yourself ample time, a little more than enough time to to allow for those pitfalls that might happen during the routine. You want to not start like two hours early. Some parents will tell me, well, we start our bedtime routine at six so that our children are in bed at eight. And then they're like dimming all the lights in the house and having um, you know, some quiet playtime and they're they're having a bath and then going back and having a snack and then having oh, a little yeah. more quiet playtime. So that's not something that I recommend. I do yeah. really like the steps of a bedtime routine to signal to your child, okay, these things happen in the same sort of order each night. And these things signal to me that my big long sleep in my bed is coming up soon. And if we interrupt those cues with some extra yep. playtime after the bath or another snack after we brush our teeth and we have to brush our teeth again or things like this, it really promotes toddler preschooler stall tactics. So what I recommend is that, yes, give yourself ample time, but generally I would say 45 minutes to an hour and especially leaning more towards that hour point if you have multiple kids, Uh, but really making sure that you have the same steps in the same order each night. And it's kind of like bath, pajamas, brush their teeth, 
use the toilet if they're old enough for those things. Then read a couple of stories and always have two stories in mind. Don't give in to like one more book, one more book, one more book, and now prolong the bedtime for another half an hour, two books with a little snuggle and then into their bed. We make sure that all of the last sips of milk and snacks, et cetera, are done before we start the bath, if -hmm. we're doing a bath. But before we head to the bathroom to start the routine, whether that's a bath or whether that's a wipe down with a cloth or whatever it might be, we make sure all the playtime, the snacks, the drinks, et cetera, are done. And we make it clear that, okay, the rest of the stuff that's happening, the bath or the wipe down, the toilet, the teeth, et cetera, this all means bedtime is approaching and we're not throwing other stuff in there that might confuse you about what's coming up next. Because the only thing that's coming up next is sleep. sleep. Yeah. So, so I think that's a great idea. Giving yourself that time. That's something that we've really tried to, um, implement here at our house too, is consistency. Consistency is key. And I feel like you can apply that principle to everything with parenting. For sure. Consistency is key with sleep, potty training, discipline, all of these things. I think if your kids are going to test you, they're going to push buttons. They're going to try to test your boundaries and see what they can get away with. But if you push back enough and you set that boundary and you set that expectation for them, eventually they're going to give up because they know a mom's not going to let me, you know, go downstairs for a snack because she never does. I might still ask, but they're not going to ask you 50 times because they know that you are going to, you know, for lack of a better word, put your foot down. One thing that benefits us is, and I know that this isn't the case with a lot of families, is we're in a two-story house. And so for us, when we go upstairs, like we don't come back downstairs. And so we have that sort of boundary already set with the second story of our house. But if I was in a, if I was on a single story, I think what I would do is I would, you know, close up all the cabinets, turn off the lights in the kitchen, and you're sort of closing the kitchen. The kitchen is closed now. There is not going to be any more snacks. There's not going to be any more, you know, sips of milk or anything like that. We also have the consistency with the books and the songs, and they might occasionally get one extra song if we get, you know, if we, if everything is sort of running very smoothly, but most of the time, nine times out of 10, we are doing the exact same bedtime routine. And so our kids do know what is coming up next. And that also benefits you that for our six-year-old who is sort of inching towards those days of independence, he knows what to do. So we just can tell him like, go get your pajamas, go get your underwear, you know what to do. And we just kind of have to remind him of the steps, but he can do a lot of it himself because he's been doing it since he was a baby. So he knows what to do. He knows what's coming up and what's expected of him. That's huge. And I think it also, you know, I can speak to as a mom of an older child who you're able to leave with a babysitter and that kind of thing. It speaks to what you were mentioning before about being able to go out and your babysitter will say, wow, the kids were so easy at bedtime when they have that predictability and that familiarity with their same sleep routine every night when they have a grandparent, a neighbor, a beloved babysitter taking care of them, then it's easier for your sitter because even though your children are in a bit of an unfamiliar situation because the sitter who only comes over maybe a couple of times a month is here again and putting us down to bed and this feels a little weird, what doesn't feel weird... 
Yeah. The process is the same. So it helps them like, okay, this felt a little weird, but we're still doing all the same things in all the same order that we do every night with mom and or dad. And, Mm -hmm. and so this still feels good to me. It still feels right. It it helps me to know what's coming up next and it helps me feel comfortable and familiar with everything. So I think that the consistency can help with those situations as well. Something that you, yeah, go ahead. For those, for parents who might be watching, who maybe you're not very consistent and you're thinking to yourself, okay, we need to start with a consistent routine because of all of these reasons. I think also giving yourself grace that when, because when it doesn't happen, it's okay. If you're working towards consistency, it's okay if it doesn't go perfect every night. Believe me, I've had those nights. I fly solo every once in a while. My husband's a doctor and so he has late nights. He has nights where he's on call and I'm go- I'm by myself. And those nights rarely go well. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Let's like flesh that one out because that was another First of all, let's talk about when your partner is home because you yeah. often have your partner at home and so one of your tips was to divide and conquer because there's so many yeah. tasks to do that you want each partner to be responsible. So if you are listening and you do have a partner available to help at bedtime and you guys can divide and conquer, let's talk about how you and your partner do that and then we'll also definitely touch on when you don't have a partner at home to help you because that's obviously a really important part of this too. Yeah. So for us, we like my husband and I are not doing the bedtime routine together. We're not both present for bath, for bath. We're not both present for brushing teeth. We're not both present for books. One of us is bathing. We have two girls and a boy. So one of us is bathing the two girls while the other one is in, you know, helping our six-year-old learn how to shower where that's the next thing for us is like working him out of the bath and into the shower. So we're now we're trying to make sure that he's like scrubbing all of his nooks and crannies. So, um, one of us is off, you know, monitoring him in the shower and making sure that he's doing his routine. The, one of us is doing the girls. When everybody's done, I'm, you know, blow drying our middle daughter's hair while my husband's getting the other two in their jammies. Um, and then we kind of, it, it's sort of like a well-oiled machine or sort of like a pit crew where everybody's doing something always. Like there's not a time unless we're done with everything and we're just enjoying the book time. There's not a time where we're both just like sitting there and reveling in the bedtime routine. You know, he's got, you know, the Q-tips ready and I'm doing the brushing the teeth and then I'm going to do the hairbrush or the hairbrushing and the blow drying while he's starting the books or there's a lot of moving parts. And so in, you want to keep those parts moving so that you're not stalling anywhere. Um, so I the conquer thing is huge for us. Huge. I think when we had just one, we were there for everything. It was both of us were giving him a bath. We were both brushing his teeth. And so then when you add a second one, you kind of have to split up. And then when you add a third, all bets are off. And so- <laughs> I think coming to grips with the idea that I'm not going to be giving him a bath every single night. You know, it's not, you don't have to, all five of us don't have to move as one single unit. We have to divide and conquer. Otherwise our, our bedtime routine would take much longer. Yeah. 
And what about the nights when, say, your husband gets called in to work? So do you, all four of you who are left in the house, move as one unit? Or how do you manage that? So what's your advice for parents when, whether you are a single parent or you are a parent whose partner isn't around at bedtime because they work a night shift or for whatever reason, you are on your own with multiple kids at bedtime? How do you manage that? What are some tips for that? So for me, because I'm not flying solo every night, I know the nights that I'm going to potentially be by myself. For example, tonight, my husband is on call. So I know that there is some likelihood that he's not going to be here for bed. So because of that, last night, we gave the kids a bath because we were both home. And so tonight, I don't have to worry about bath for the kids because they just got a bath last night. We can just kind of do like a quick wipe down or skip the bath routine altogether because we took care of that in advance. So I think if you're in a situation similar to my own where you know um, there's going to be nights when your spouse or partner is away planning ahead for that and then sort of backing up to, okay, what can we do the night before that then it's a little bit easier um, the night on the night that I'm by myself. Now for the parents who are maybe single parents or they never have their partner home for the bedtime routine, I think we're talking about a very different situation where you're going to figure out a routine that works for you when you're by yourself. I would still, and there are nights where I do give our kids baths when I'm by myself. If my husband is, you know, if my husband's away for a few nights, I obviously have to give them a bath at some point by myself. Um, And so I still divide and conquer. So I'll give the girls a bath while my son is in his room reading or playing, or if I need if I need it, I am I am a safe space for all of you screen time parents. <laughs> if you need to put on an episode of Bluey while you're giving somebody a bath, I do it. I do it too. Like I am, we are the same. Um, so sometimes he's, you know, watching Bluey or Wild Kratz episode while I'm giving the girls a bath and then we'll switch. I'll go ahead and put something on for the girls while then I'm giving him a bath. Um, again, when I'm by myself, I do give myself a little bit more time because I know it's going to take longer because I'm doing every aspect myself. And then sometimes it's, you know, I'll put our two-year-old down while the older two are off reading in their rooms or maybe cleaning up their rooms from the day. And then I'll come in and do their bedtime a little bit like separately. We'll do separate books for them. Um, So just if you're always by yourself, I think you figure out the routine that works for you. If you're by yourself occasionally and your spouse is away like mine, um, I think planning ahead for those nights and sort of preemptively taking care of things earlier or the day before. Um, The other thing that I'll do, like I said, we live in a two-story house. In order to make it a little bit easier for me at night, sometimes I'll bring down their toothbrushes and their pajamas and everything downstairs so that I can kind of do it all downstairs so that when we go upstairs, it's we're straight into bed and um, or books and bedtime. So I I just kind of figure out what works for me in the moment. We like I said, we've been very consistent ever since our six year old was born. And so if Every once in a while, I'm flying solo and I'm bringing their jammies downstairs. I don't feel like that really throws off the routine too much because it's we're still doing the routine. It's just we're doing it downstairs just because it's for whatever reason, it's a little bit easier. I can leave something on the TV and kind of just like move them through the motions a little bit easier when I'm by myself. Yeah, that's the biggest thing for me is prepping in advance when I know I'm going to be potentially by myself or 
still doing the divide and conquer. You don't have to do all three kids all, you know, all together when you're by yourself, you can still do like two and one. Yeah, that's what I would But that say. consistency is like, it all goes back to it that, all right? goes it back to so much because if yeah. the majority of the time you are consistent, then on the one-off occasions when you can't be, it's not a big deal because your children just have right. this idea of going to bed so ingrained and it's much easier. So a lot of parents will ask, um, you know, what if there are nights when I don't have time for the bath? I normally do a bath. Is it going to totally throw them off if I don't do a bath? Well, no. If your norm is that you do a bath each night and then you do pajamas, books, and bed, if you don't do it one night, but your child is otherwise a great sleeper and normally things are very consistent, then that should go fine. Or what if we're out late and my child get, goes to bed you know, 30, 45 minutes later than normal. Well, if it's an off night, but normally your child's a good sleeper, they don't have sleep debt, they consistently sleep well and go to bed at a certain time, then once in a blue moon, going to bed 30, 60 minutes later probably isn't going to be the end of the world because the majority of the time you're really consistent. So it all does come back to that. Okay. Before we go on to the next tip, I have three things I have to touch on because I know there are listeners who are avid listeners who are like, Erin, I know you're not okay with what she just said. (laughs) So we have to touch on them and say that I am. So there's three things that I'm like, oh, our our avid listeners are going to be like, but you always tell people not to do that, Erin. So the first thing is when you said you don't do a bath every night, because especially if you've ever been a client of the happy sleep companies, you know, I'm like bath, bath every night to start the bedtime routine. Yes. But you also have to keep in mind that when I work with a family and I am suggesting that they start every night with a bedtime, start every bedtime routine with a bath, I am working with a family where we are setting up healthy sleep habits from scratch. Yeah. This is a family who doesn't, their baby doesn't have independent sleep habits or their toddler doesn't have independent sleep habits. They are working on this for the first time. It's all very new. We're setting up a foundation. And this goes back to like full circle, what we just talked about, which is creating the foundation that then leads to a really consistent bedtime so that once in a while, if you can't do all the steps, it's not the end of the world. So totally realistically, whether you have one child or three, especially if you have two or three, you're probably not going to be able to do a bath every single night. I love a bath the majority of the time as the start of the bedtime routine, because it really signals to children that, oh, okay, this thing, especially infants who can't talk or communicate with you, or you can't communicate with verbally yet, it signals to them, oh, this crazy water thing, right? This only happens once every day. And it's always right before my big long sleep in my crib. So now that I'm in this thing, this crazy water thing, I know that what's coming up really soon is my big long sleep in my crib. Yeah. So we try to do that in bath every night when we were exactly. setting up those foundations bath every single night. Yeah. But then once the foundation is set and you have that consistency in place, if once in a while you just do, or even like once every few nights, you just do a warm wipe down with a cloth in the bathroom to start the routine, to sort of signal the start of the routine, but not actually do the whole bath, not the end of the world. So if you're wondering Erin, how are you not jumping in and talking about how she's not doing a bath every night, Katie? (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. It's just when you're setting up the foundation and then you have a lot more flexibility once you've set that foundation in place, just like Katie has. Screen time. (laughs) That's the next thing where my toddler and preschooler families who follow us or have worked with us are going to be like, no, 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 Erin, you told me that our toddler- Scold her. Scold her. (laughs) It's not supposed to have screen time. Usually I say within an hour of when they go to bed, but 
in your case, this is exactly what you're saying. Like if you are giving your six-year-old some screen time in order to start your other two children's bedtime routine, but then you're turning off the screen and doing his routine and his routine takes 45 minutes or so after that, then he's still not having screen time as part of the routine. I normally say it's best to shut off all the screens, the blue light, et cetera, uh, at least an hour before your child's going to hit the hay. But it really means like, don't have it be part of the routine. Don't be like watching shows while you're brushing teeth or watching YouTube videos in replacement of a story, because those things are likely going to inhibit your child from going to sleep easily. Because as you've heard me talk about lots, and as we know from science, (laughs) the blue light that's emitted from those screens really does inhibit the production of melatonin, which is that naturally occurring hormone that helps us fall asleep. So we're trying to avoid that during the bedtime routine so that their minds have time to wind down. We're not subjected to that blue light right before we go to bed. But if you are using that 45 minutes, an hour before bed to distract your older child while you start to get your younger children ready, I think that's a fantastic idea. I am on the same page as you. Don't worry. I am not a screen time hater. We (laughs) are like, we are a family who has no family in the city. Our parents live three and six hour drives away from us. We take a trip to North Carolina every year, which is a 15 hour drive. And I'm going to tell you right now, if that drive is 15 hours, my 11 year old is probably on her screen for There's an iPad like, the- like 12, like 12 of the 15 hours. Let's be real. So I'm not opposed to screen time. It's just, we're trying to avoid it really, really close to when your child's supposed to be winding down and getting ready to go to sleep. And then the other thing is about putting your oldest child down, probably the latest, which is what Katie's talking about too. So If you are on your own with bedtime, you have three kiddos and one of them is six and one of them is four and one of them is two. The one of those children who is going to be the most resilient and able to manage their bedtiming being a little off that night is going to be the oldest one. So the younger your child is, the more easily they're going to get thrown off by their bedtime being too late. Mm -hmm. The older your child is, while they might get a little sleepier, a little crankier, they are going to be able to manage themselves, their emotions, you know, they're going to be able to manage the slightly later bedtime better. So if you're on your own and your choice is, I can't put them all down at the same time. One of them is not going to have to go to bed a little bit later than the other ones. I have to prioritize getting somebody to sleep first. And then the other, it's the somebody who gets to sleep first, I would suggest is usually the youngest, depending on your napping schedule and specific ages, but we're prioritizing usually getting the youngest to bed first. And if somebody has to go to bed a little bit later than normal that night, I would generally suggest it be the oldest because they're probably going to handle that a little better. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, and sometimes even our, our two-year-old, depending on how she's napped, um, Sometimes she's a hot mess, like right after the bath. And sometimes because again, because we've established that consistency, sometimes after a bath, we're like, she can't even handle the the story and song tonight. She just needs to go straight down. And so my husband or I will put her down while we're still kind of doing the toothbrushing routine and everything else with the older two. And so because consistency is so important, once you've established that, then you, then you get that flexibility, but you can't you know, I, we, we didn't start with the flexibility because they, they have, you have to 
teach your kids what's coming, what to expect so that then you can gain that flexibility later on. If you're every once in a while, if you're like 50-50 on whether you allow them to have one more song, mommy, or if you allow them to come out of their room 50% of the time, then they're going to really try to push that button because they know that there's that likelihood that you you might finally give in. Um, if you are firm on those at the start, then once once you have established that consistency, then again, you gain that flexibility later on with regards to how often you do bath, how many songs or books you do, how late they're going to bed. Establishing that consistency early is going to pay off in spades later on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always tell parents that if I was only ever allowed to say one word again for the rest of my career, and I just had to pick one that would help parents, it's going to be consistency. And my clients who work with us for two weeks straight day in, day out, hear me say that word or see me type that word in their emails like five times a day. (laughs) They're probably really sick of hearing that word from me by the time our two weeks together is done because I say it a lot. Well, and think about every other aspect of child rearing and raising kids when we're talking about if you're listening to a child psychologist or a discipline specialist or, you know, child development specialist, or you're listening to a a potty trainer, all of them are going to say consistency. You got to work on consistency and being consistent. And it's, yeah, it's, it's like the buzzword of parenting. It is. And I think sometimes the tough part is that, okay, we all have Google or we've all got Instagram and and heard the experts say this or read the thing in the article. And I know consistency is key, but I don't know what to be consistent about. I think that's often the hard part. So hopefully from this today, that's what we're talking about. Like, what are the steps? How do we create this consistency? So we have then later that flexibility. I would say that's what sleep coaching is about too. A lot of parents will say to me, you know, I have all these sleep coaching resources at my fingertips. So I know a lot of the what, like what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I just don't really know how, like, I don't know how to put that into place, practically speaking. So it's a lot of that. Like we have to figure out what to be consistent about, how to be consistent about it, and then be consistent about it. Relating to the consistency, make sure that you and your spouse are on the same page with what you want to be consistent about. My husband and I started talking about parenting and our parenting styles and strategies and reading all the parenting books before we became parents. And we had those conversations very early and we continue to have those conversations when, you know, when my husband and I are maybe doing or saying something different after the kids go to bed, we'll talk about it. Like, okay, moving forward, what is going to be our expectation when this happens? because certainly it's not going to be the last. I think making sure that you're both on the same page or close to the same page, or at least can one of you can give in because you have to present a united front if you're if you're a part of a parenting couple or pair. Because if one parent is going to be doing one thing and the other parent's going to be doing the other thing, they're going to try to test both of you in order to get yeah. what they want. A hundred percent. And it's so important. We actually have a whole podcast episode with Dr. Alice Pickering devoted to conversations that parents should have before they become parents and suggestions for types of conversations to sit down and have before you have a baby. And so that's a great one. Go back in the archives and check that one out. Um, If you, especially if you're expecting another, even if you already have one child, you're expecting another, like, okay, let's go back. And especially now, because we actually know the things that we don't always agree on. So let's sit down and have conversations about those things so that with this child, (laughs) 
<laughs> we yep. get on the same page before the child arrives. And, and it's another huge part of sleep coaching. It's why a lot of parents will say to me, well, we know what to do, but I believe we should do X and my partner believes we should do Y and we right. can't get on the same page. So we need a sleep coach to lay it all out for a step-by-step have us sit down and all of us agree to it so that at two o'clock in the morning, when our child is awake and yelling, my partner is not like, well, I should think we should do this. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I don't, I think we should do this. And then we just sit in bed fighting about it because we haven't gotten on the same page from the start. And instead right. we need one solid united plan and front so that we're handling this in one way, in a consistent way. So our child is not confused about what to expect, depending on who's taking care of the situation. Right. So it's a big one for sure. Okay. So that is a lot of great stuff about bedtime, about the routine, about how to manage all that tips for managing that when you have multiple young kiddos. I'd love before we wrap up though, to talk about the daytime and nap time stuff. Yes. Because we've talked about bedtime. We've talked about the timing of bedtime and how to manage all of that with multiple kids. But a lot of times I get questions about what about the daytime schedule? Because most commonly the question is, I have a two-year-old who still needs a nap in the middle of the day, middle of the day. But now I also have an eight-month-old who needs a mid-morning nap and a mid-afternoon nap. I would say I get the question less about newborns because parents generally accept that newborns need many, many naps in the day. And inevitably, lots of them are going to be on the go. A lot of parents aren't really worrying about any kind of sleep shaping, certainly not sleep coaching in the newborn stage. Babies at that age will often sleep easily anywhere and everywhere. But as we get out of the newborn stage, four months, five months, et cetera, now we're like, okay, I'd like to focus more on a nap schedule for my baby. I'd like to get more independent sleep skills for my baby. I am finding that my five-month-old just won't fall asleep anywhere and everywhere. Even if I don't care about him having naps at home and I'm fine with him having naps on the go, he won't take naps on the go or something like that. So, yeah. And so I get these questions about what do I do if I have a two-year-old who needs a nap in the middle of the day, but my eight-month-old needs a morning nap and an afternoon nap. The the options are like stay at home all the time and never leave the house or or what? And so I have some advice that I give to clients about that, but I'd love to hear from you as a mom of multiple children, how you have managed that in the past. So you don't go stir crazy at home and you can actually get out of the house and still, you know, because as a mom who clearly prioritizes her children's sleep and it's important to you, how do you get out of the house, but still prioritize sleep? Yes. It's funny you say clearly we prioritize sleep because we do to a fault. Um, I think our family, I hope my mom and mother-in-law don't ever listen to this because I'm going to like kind of throw them under the bus right now. Um, I feel like they sort of look at us like, geez, you guys, like, could you be a little bit flexible? And we're like, no, we have to go home. She needs a nap (laughs) instead of just like expecting them to nap on the go because our kids did not do that. Believe me, I tried to be that mom that was just like, I'm just going to go to Hobby Lobby or I'm just going to go to TJ Maxx and she'll just sleep in the car or sleep in the stroller. And they didn't. They didn't. And I think because our kids really, our kids really strived on that consistency of being home and in their beds. So I was not able to nap on the go. So I have lived that whole life of you put your younger one down at, you know, 10 o'clock, 1030 in the morning. And then when they wake up, your toddler goes down. And then when your toddler wakes up, then your baby goes back down. I have lived that life um, to the moms who feel nap trapped and you're not leaving the house. I feel you. I lived that life 
and I'm so glad that I'm out of it. My advice, I have a few things. Number one, I would, if you have family or resources or a partner where you can get help, even just occasionally, just a a day or two per week where they can be home for maybe your toddler's nap and you can leave for a few hours, you got to get out of the house. And that's that's coming from a mom who did not get out of the house. I just nap trapped myself. And I think I burned, I was burning myself at both ends. And I came out of, I feel like I'm just sort of, sort of coming out of that fog of young toddlerhood and young kids where I'm like, oh my God, I can breathe again. And I've been trapped for so many years. Um, Don't do that to yourself if you can help it. Um, My other piece of advice would be to as best you can, and this is sort of a, it's a work in progress, is sync up those naps early, as early as you can, and as as long as you can. Sync them up. People, we had friends and family who were always amazed that our girls napped at the same time, that Emily could nap earlier in the day, or Lindsay could, our our middle child could nap earlier in the day or our youngest could nap later in the day. And I just really tried to sync them up because I needed them to be napping at the same time. I didn't want to just be bouncing from one kid to the next all day. Um, So early on, it's harder because, you know, your, your younger child, your infant is going to be really needing that sleep to be sort of consistent. So again, that consistency, if you've been consistent with your toddler, your toddler can't tell time. They have a certain body clock and you can't put them down too early because they're not going to be sleepy really. But if you do the same nap time routine that you're used to doing at one o'clock in the afternoon, if you're doing it at 12, they're not going to know the difference. They can't tell time. So use that to your advantage. The routine is more important for us. The routine was more important than the time that it's happening. For us, if it's happening, usually I shoot for about a 1 to 1.30 nap time. But if that nap isn't happening until 2.30, that's okay because we've we've established the routine. If if we're shifted back a little bit, that's okay too. If we've done the whole lunchtime thing and now we're doing story and now we're doing nap time, it's the same routine. So routine over time for us. And so I will say that for a lot of parents, they'll tell me like, if we hit a certain time of the day and we haven't done nap yet, my child is so overtired. They're wired. They can't get to sleep. They're overstimulated. So it's another important note where you just, you have to do what works for your individual child. If you are Katie and you are a family who sees, you know, from your children and the way they respond to things that the routine is more important than the timing, then you are flexible on the timing and you have that opportunity to do that and to sync up their naps. So definitely take advantage of that. If your child is one who will respond well to that. Mm -hmm. If your child is one who gets super overstimulated and overtired and wired, if you don't do the nap time around the same time every day or before a certain time every day, then you pick a different approach, right? And so you do what works for you and your family. I know for me, a lot of parents, I'll tell them, 
if your children are just at a stage where they're too far apart in age to even consider syncing up their nap time routines, but they both still need naps, then maybe you are the family whose child will sleep on the go, unlike Katie and, and mine didn't sleep very well on the go, to be honest. She was much better in her crib once we did sleep coaching. But maybe yeah. you're the family who being off with your timing doesn't work well, but that's okay because your child is one who will sleep on the go. So right. maybe if you have a two-year-old who sleeps in the middle of the day and an eight-month-old who needs a morning and an afternoon nap, well, you only trap yourself for the morning. So you plan activities around the house and you do your eight-month-old's first nap of the day at home in the crib while you play with your toddler. And then you put your toddler down for a nap while you give your eight-month-old lunch. And then when your toddler gets up, you go out for the afternoon and maybe you don't do it every single day, but maybe you do it two or three times a week and you go to the park and you take the stroller or a baby carrier and you put your eight month old in there around the time that they would have been napping anyway. And you let them nap in there and have their afternoon nap in the stroller or the carrier that day. And you're okay with it because mm -hmm. they already got a good nap that day, a restful nap in the morning that set the tone for the day. Your two-year-old got their naps and now they're in a good mood too. And now you get out of the house, your toddler gets out of the house, your baby gets a snuggly nap in the carrier or a nice fresh air nap in the stroller. And if your baby is one who will do that, which many babies are, as long as we hit the timing right, as long as they're tired enough to go to sleep, then that's the approach that your individual family takes. So that's mm -hmm. something else we can consider. I do get that worry a lot from parents whose children will not sleep well on the go. So some families who come to us, a lot of families who come to us because their children are up all night, they will sleep anywhere and everywhere during the day, like stroller on mom or dad in a carrier. They'll pass out as soon as they go in the car and the motion starts of the car. But after I work with families and their children are great little sleepers, a lot of the time they'll say to me, well, now they won't sleep on the go. You know why? Because your child sleeps through the night. They sleep like yeah. 10 to 12 hours straight every night and they don't have sleep debt. And yeah. overall, that's awesome. That's like that's the dream. That's the goal yeah. is that your child does not have sleep debt because they generally sleep through the night. They take good naps in the day. And then when you're on the go, and even though the motion of the car or the stroller is happening, there's noise, there's light. They're not exhausted because they just slept 12 hours straight last night. And so they won't necessarily fall asleep as easily in the car or the stroller. And so it's something to keep in mind. I would say it's worth it for the 95% of the time you're at home to have a great sleeper for the 5% of the time that you're out of the home for them to not nap in the stroller because they don't have any sleep debt because they're an awesome crib sleeper. <laughs> like to me, that's, that's worth it. And, but that's also... Yeah, it's it's a trade-off. It's sort of, it's the catch-22, I guess. But the good news is that if that's you and your baby doesn't often fall asleep in the stroller easily because they're such a good sleeper at home and they have no sleep debt, it probably also means if your eight-month-old doesn't go to sleep in the stroller at the park this afternoon while you're there with your toddler and they just totally miss their afternoon nap once in a blue moon they're still going to sleep fine tonight because come. they don't have any sleep debt because they're good sleepers overall, because you have consistency and good bedtime routines and they know when it's time to go to sleep. So that goes back to everything else that Katie and I have been talking about in this episode is if you have a good sleeper, if they generally get great sleep at home, if you have a consistent routine, then one off day or a babysitter coming over to put them down or anything like that is probably going to go just fine because the majority of the time they're great little sleepers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think the other thing that we use to our advantage is um, we have for our older two, at least we haven't gotten one for our youngest, but she's not too far away from getting one is a little toddler alarm clock. 
So we have the kind of alarm clocks that light up and it has like a little smiley face and the smiley face goes to sleep. It closes their eyes at bedtime. You can set whatever time you want. And in the morning, it turns on a yellow light 30 minutes before the alarm is supposed to like the the actual alarm clock is set. So for example, most mornings, this is when I'm going to, this is when I'm going to lose your followers or your listeners, because they're going to be like, what your kids sleep till then. Um, we have our alarms set for seven 30 and on the weekends we set it for eight o'clock. But that is something you can sometimes do as your children get older. Like usually if I'm using a wake up clock with a toddler, I start with 6am because Mm -hmm. it's like a training clock. Like we are teaching them to stay in bed until the light comes on and we want to set them up for success. So we set it early. If they sleep past 6am, well, that's great. But if they don't, and they're already awake, well, we call it a win. They stayed in their bed quietly until the clock went yellow at six. And now we get up and start our day. But as your child gets used to the concept and the boundaries around that clock, then you can set it later and later. And that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's another great tip. You're dying to sleep in a little bit extra. Yeah. So yeah, the, the alarm clocks have been really helpful too. And then we also use those alarm clocks for sometimes our six-year-old just needs quiet time in the day. He's not napping. And in fact, our four-year-old also just recently dropped her nap. But every once in a while, I can just detect that they did not get a good night's sleep because they're not acting themselves. They're a little fussier than normal, or they're yawning a lot, or they just had a big day or whatever it might be. Um, I will sometimes still put them down and there isn't the expectation that they'll nap, but I'll tell them, I really want you to like, just lay down and get some quiet time. And I'll use those alarm clocks. You can set it for like a nap time and set it for an hour or whatever you want. And then even if they're not sleeping, even if they're just playing quietly in your room and or in their room, you still get that time to yourself because as the mom of kids that are a little bit older now, sometimes I find myself missing naps because I'm like, oh man, that was so nice that I could just like have quiet time in the middle of the day downstairs by myself. And now I don't really have that, but the quiet hour, if you're using the alarm clocks, those can help you also during just having quiet time. Yeah. Even if you have a child who's too old to need a nap or you don't really want them to nap because it messes up bedtime, which is what often happens once we're at the age where we don't need a nap anymore, just using it for quiet time, knowing your child's not going to fall asleep, but they have that boundary of, you know, quiet reading time, quiet puzzles or toys in their room for that time can be really helpful for a break for kiddo and mom. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. Katie, thank you so much for being on today. This was so, I I hope this was helpful for for everyone. This is, you know, helpful tips for me to be able to relate to my own clients when they are asking me about their multiple kids. And I might only be working with their baby or their young toddler, but they're like, okay, great. But how does this relate to my whole family? How do I fit this in? How do we make this realistic for our whole family? So I think this was so great. I hope everyone can take some of those tips and apply them to their own situation. So it helps them out in managing those multiple kiddos and their sleep schedules. You can find Katie, your Instagram account. Yeah, just my name, Katie Sproul. I'm on Instagram. I sort of started my Instagram because I I started it at a time when Instagram still was very sort of curated and everything looked sort of unattainable and perfect. And like you had mentioned in my bio, motherhood is incredibly rewarding and fulfilling, but it's easily the hardest thing that I have ever and will ever do. And I think we, I think as moms, we need to see that we're not the only ones struggling. Um, As parents in general, we're not the only ones struggling. We're not the only one 
um, riding the struggle bus where we all have the same ticket for the struggle bus. And <laughs> we just take, we just take turns as to who's behind the wheel, but yeah. um, everybody's riding the struggle bus at one time or another. And your Instagram account really, you know, makes that very relatable that we're all in this together. We're all struggling with similar things, maybe not at the same time, maybe not the exact same things, but we're all there and we, and yeah. it's a very relatable account. So I will make sure that we include a link to the account uh, in the show notes for today so that you can go give Katie a follow. Cause it's great material. It's great, relatable, funny material, which can be just a light in the middle of your day when you're on the struggle bus too. <laughs> Thanks again for being on. Like I said, we'll give you all the information to find Katie in the show notes and have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a mom or dad who might need some rest. Connect with us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company and check out our website, thehappysleepcompany.com for loads of blogs, sleep guides, and information about how we work with families one-on-one to get sleep on track.